Hi everyone, I hope you're okay. Uh, today marks the start of a new series that I'm really excited about. I think Amber's already given you a little window on where we're going with it, but we're going to be thinking about uh, the church. And we, we've called the series Loving Church, which you're deliberately supposed to hear in, in a couple of ways, as in I'm loving church as I'm really enjoying church at the moment, or loving church as a, as a way of describing the church, that its defining quality should be one of love. And in many ways, it feels like it's probably quite a good time to be thinking about this subject because I guess the restrictions that COVID has placed on us has caused many of us to, to desperately miss certain aspects of church. There may be other bits that you're kind of like, ah, actually, not so sorry to have left that behind. But this time, I guess for a lot of people, it's caused some searching questions to come to the fore about what really is church? What state is the church in? Is God calling us to change? And if so, in what sort of ways? So we're going to be looking at all that stuff over the next six weeks or so. Um, and we're going to be thinking about that. But today we're going to be pulling right back to basics. And our subject is community of what? Question mark. That, that's the title today. Uh, for today. And we're thinking about what is it that we are talking about when we bandy around this word church? When we strip it back to its most fundamental expression, what is church? Now, Amber has already made clear that if the vicar asks you that question, there is a model exam answer. The church is the people, not the building, folks, or some variation of that. Interestingly, as you, you will have noticed, I've deliberately filmed it in St. John's building today. And I wonder how many of you thought when it, the film starts to roll, ah, oh, look, John is in church. Or how often do we hear ourselves saying, are you going to church today? Or if we ask somebody, well, what church do you go to? Because even though we know what the model answer is, we slip into using phrases that sound a little bit more like church is a location rather than a bunch of people. And I get that why that happens. It, it's often just about ease and convenience of language as much as anything. And, and the last thing we need to be as a church is a bunch of really pedantic people. But I also suspect that there is something a little bit deeper at play there. That way of expressing things, I suspect, may betray some of our ingrained practices as a church, our tendency to focus our life together around getting people into a certain place at a certain time. And, and I think some of those tendencies have been exposed in the last few months by, by not being allowed to meet here in this particular building. That's almost sort of setting the scene to this morning, but I, just one more introductory thought. I think it's also worth just reminding, and it is just simply a reminder, that we are becoming increasingly conscious of how we are perceived by those outside of the church. And that's because it's no longer a cultural thing to rock up to a particular building on a Sunday morning and do the things that we associate with church. And, and that is causing the church, rightly so, to ask questions of itself. It's possibly an exaggeration to say that the church is in an existential crisis, but it is wrestling with its identity. And in no small part, that is because the gospel, the Christian story, appears to have lost its, its hold on people's imaginations. And, and I suspect we often think that 
people outside of the church, their, their idea or their concept of church is that it's a bit dull, it's a bit lifeless. I don't know if you remember, this is showing my age, spitting image and spitting images uh, portrayal, rather unfair portrayal of poor old John Major, who was just from top to toe completely grey um, and dull, this sort of washed out figure who uh, would sit at the table and go, uh, Norma, can I have some more peas, please? It was like, boring. That is often how the church is perceived, lacking colour, irrelevant, just a bit meh. Now, I wouldn't be a vicar if I thought that was a fair assessment, I don't think. Or maybe I'll just be a more driven vicar, I don't know. But I think the reality is that many of us, even those of us inside the church, can feel a certain disconnect between what we see and hear and read about in this dear old book and actually what our own experience of church is. And when we jump into Acts, the reading that we, we had this morning, one thing that you cannot call it is bland. It is a riot of colour. And of course, whilst church is not about adrenaline seeking, there is an exuberance and a movement and a life that just pours out of these pages that can sometimes leave us, if, if we're brutally honest, feeling, okay, how do we get from, from there to where we are now? Kind of what went wrong? How did we get to this place? And so we're going to try and take some of those thoughts and feelings head on in this series. And we'll try and do that in an honest and as candid a way as possible. But also with the bedrock hope that actually God will do what he needs to do with us if we just let him. So back to the day, today, sorry, um, Church 101. How does this book, how does the New Testament, how does the Bible define church? Uh, and we're going to jump in at our Acts 4 reading. So was, if you recall, it's Acts 4 verses 32 onwards. Now, it's worth noting at the outset that the whole of the New Testament describes the church in lots of different ways. It's not a monochrome picture. Uh, it uses different images um, and different descriptions. And here, here's just a few. So you've got house or household, temple, living stones, a body, citizens, the language of family, so sons and daughters, all that sort of thing. Uh, one that the blokes can struggle with, the bride of Christ. That's often sort of a forward-looking one. The point is there is lots of different pictures, but... Where I want to begin this morning is, is one that is even more simple and fundamental than any of those. And if, if you go right back to verse 32 of Acts 4, it says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Other versions say, now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. As Amber reminds us, the church is not a building, people. It is people. <laughs> Arguably, the, the, the most basic definition of the church is a group of God's people. Elsewhere in Acts, it talks about an assembly of God's people. Um, and the word that is used for this idea of an assembly or a gathering, um, it later becomes the New Testament's most common word for church. And it's going to pop up on the screen. Uh, uh, you don't need to get too hung up on it, but it's, it's the word ecclesia which no doubt you can think of some very churchy flavoured words that we get in English from that. But that noun, in essence, just means Christians together. That's uh, the collective noun of a singular word, which means disciple. Now, forget about the grammar. The 
point is, is that an individual is a disciple, a learner. Interestingly, there are, there are church leaders uh, in, in churches across the, in the West, generally speaking, who are, are deliberately using the language of, say, being a, a Jesus apprentice rather than the word Christian. Um, but the idea is that one of these disciples or learners or apprentices, if you get lots of them together, that's the church. Simple. Hopefully that's just re-emphasizing what you already know. It is about people. But there is a subtle addition which doesn't often get stated quite so forcefully or quite so explicitly um, that, that I want to emphasize. See, it's not just a group of people randomly thrown together. It's not even a group of people with a heart for social justice even. We entitled this opening talk Community of What? Question mark. And Acts and the New Testament is really clear that it's a community of believers. Not just a group of people who believe in the existence of God, but a gathering of people who believe some very specific things about who God is and what he's done and what he wants for and from us. Specific things which, which no surprise, gravitate around Jesus. And whilst this is, a, this is a completely nuts thing to say on one level, and the early church, Peter and John and those other disciples, this would have made no sense to them whatsoever. If I want St. John's as a church to be known for anything, I would want it to be recognised as a Jesus church. That is exactly why our vision is what it is. That sense of wanting to enable anyone and everyone to do life with Jesus is essentially a definition of being a disciple. And yes, on one level, it is a nonsense thing to say because being a Jesus church, by the definition of the New Testament, that, that is what church is. But hundreds of years of hierarchy, thousands of different denominations, the weight of millions of expectations, all that stuff has inevitably sometimes obscured that, that core reality. And I think I would prefer the word on the West Wickham Street to be, oh, you know those St. John's lot? They do bang on a bit about that Jesus bloke, don't they? I think I prefer that than, oh, they're, they're such a nice, friendly bunch of people. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think those are the only two options available. But at its heart, the church is this really simple construct. It is a community of Jesus believers. Now, Hopefully for most of you, that insight hasn't shaken your worldview too much. Don't worry, it's going to get a little bit more bite in a moment, but I just want to address something that, that may be sort of rattling away in the back of some of your minds. It's possible for some of you listening that you've, you've connected with St. John's online, uh, for perhaps for the first time during this whole season of COVID. Or before COVID reared its ugly head, you might have been coming along on a Sunday to this church building to find out what goes on. And you, you, you've been doing that for a while and you've liked the sense of community and you may even have been getting stuck in with some of the things that we do as a church. There are all sorts of different ways that you may have connected with St. John's. But the reality is you're still not entirely sure about the whole Jesus is God thing. I'll resist the temptation to do an alpha plug because Dan's either done one or he's about to do one. But if that's you, you might be listening and thinking, oh, Johnny, on the basis of what you just said, 
are you, are you saying that I'm not a real part of St. John's if I don't believe these things? You know, I even signed the electoral roll. I got, I got baptized as a kid. But are you saying that I'm not actually part of the church based on that definition? And, and I want to say this as pastorally sensitively as possible. It's a bit of a yes and no answer. Different churches will take really different approaches. You know, at some extremes you have churches that will... They won't allow you to be a full member, so to speak, until you sign up to a, a statement of belief, a list of fundamental truths that you have to ascribe to before you can become a full member of the church. Now, we don't do that at St. John's. Uh, the boundaries of our fellowship are deliberately quite soft and porous, and we want people to be able to explore the questions of Jesus and questions of faith from within our community and, and even get stuck in with some of the things that we do as a church together. And in that sense, you're very much part of St. John's, and I love the fact that we operate on that basis. But in the same breath, I would also say, don't let that expression of community obscure this deeper reality about the nature of church as it's described by the New Testament, which is that in its, in its DNA, there is a common experience of God's people. An experience, I guess, to use really old school language, of being saved by Jesus. Interestingly, the first Jewish Christians understood that collective identity really clearly. You know that funny old Ecclesia word that I put up on the screen earlier? Well, that, that's the same word that they, they used to translate what they saw going on, the stuff that we read about in the Old Testament. So when they looked at the group or assembly of Hebrew slaves, God's people as they're crossing the desert, they use the same word, Ecclesia word. So just as Israel was the people of God in the desert, so the church is the people of God in the world today. Let me give you a slightly more contemporary illustration that will help sort of tease out what it is that we're trying to illuminate here a little bit. It's not a perfect illustration by any stretch, but imagine if you stand at a bus stop early in the morning Essentially, there's no real pressure to talk to your fellow travellers. In fact, there's, there's not even any certainty that they will catch the same bus as you. Even if they do, they're going to take a different seat, which is a good thing. You don't want people sitting on your lap. Um, they'll read a different book and, and quite possibly get off at a different stop. Who knows, there's even an outside chance that they might plug uh, something into their ears just to let you know of their need for, for isolation. Compare that bus stop experience to one where you are taking a trip to, a, say, a sports match or, or a concert. And those at that stop are your fellow team members or, or fellow concert goers. If, if we run with the sports one for a moment, possibly the outcome of the match will decide whether your team gets promotion or not. Now, there will be a very different vibe at that bus stop. You can bet people will be talking to each other because there's this shared goal, this shared task. There's a, there's a shared moment to enjoy and that creates an atmosphere all of its own. And it, in no small part because being in relationship, communicating with one another is actually a really critical part of performing that task well or just enjoying the moment to the full. Now, as imperfect an illustration as it is, the second bus stop is, is a better image of the church than the first. And for those of you who haven't yet fully committed yourself to Jesus, but you participate in whatever way in the life of St. John's, 
in some ways you are like the person who has has got on the second bus possibly not just stood at the bus stop you've got on the second bus and hopefully you're enjoying the company you're picking up on some of the buzz you're sensing there is a sense of purpose it might even be to push the sort of illustration all the way to breaking point it might even be that you're prepared to do the warm-up but you decided you're not quite ready yet to, to get onto the playing field or you haven't quite made it into the live performance and I want to say to you I love that you're doing that I love that you're chatting at the bus stop with us I love that you're getting on the bus um, but I would also want to say play in the match because that is where the real life and energy is to be found come to the concert because that is where you'll lose yourself in the dance that is where life is truly experienced and discovered and this is where I want to shift the focus to those of you who would say you are the church you are one of the believers this is where the talk of church grows some teeth um, because whether people will get off the bus and jump onto the field so to speak in no small part is down to the community of believers and what that community of believers is like. Now, take yourself back to the Acts passage. The build-up to this wonderful early picture that we've given from in Acts 4.32. There's a whole lot of stuff that comes before it. There's a backdrop to it. And the backdrop is this. Peter and John, they've healed a man who's been crippled from birth. And they stand up and they explain how they've done that. That they've done it through Jesus' power. That's how it's happened. And then they launch into this full-scale preach about God's grand plans that are fulfilled in and through Jesus. And surprise, surprise, they get, in, they get put in jail for their troubles, essentially by the, the church authorities. On further questioning by those authorities, they push the whole Jesus agenda just a little bit more with such politically incorrect statements as salvation is found in no one else for there is no name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved on the back of those sorts of statements they receive some not so subtle threats that if they continue in this vein then things are going to get a little bit more uncomfortable than just having a, an overnight stay in the slammer how do they respond to those threats Lord protect us from harm yeah, not so much. It's, it's, Lord, help us to speak your word with a little bit more boldness, which in a literal sense would be really quite hard for them to do because they haven't exactly been catching it in soft terms up to that point. That is the backdrop to what we've read this morning. And you've got this really interesting contrast. You've got the priests and the Sadducees, the temple guard, essentially the machinery of what we might call the established church. You've, you've got that on one side. And on the other side, you've got these unschooled, ordinary men, as they are described by the authorities, a renegade, a rough around the edges group of people. And in that contrast, Luke is posing the, the controversial, but essentially rhetorical question, okay, which of these groups do you think is the true community that God intended to establish. And that's not just a looking over your shoulder, historical, theoretical question. If we are God's people for this time, how do we hold up against that comparison?
Because that early church, they weren't just a community of believers. They were a community of believers who refused to be silenced about Jesus, whatever the cost. They weren't just a community of believers who gave a slice of their income to the cause. They were a community of believers who declared loudly with their money and positions that if someone else was in need, they viewed that as like themselves being in need and they would plug the hole quickly. They weren't a community of believers who just tried hard to get on with one another and be nice to one another. They were a community of believers who worked really hard to sort out their disagreements so that they could be perceived as being one in heart and mind. How are we doing on those metrics, community of believers in Coney Hall and beyond? And the problem with that question is, I suspect that it at worst induces guilt as much as anything. It can make us feel a little less than, and at best it, it motivates us like, oh, come on, let's pull ourselves together. And then we proceed to build the church on dodgy foundations. We, we aim for generosity by teaching about money or exhorting people to share their possessions. We, we run after the latest evangelism techniques to try and stem the decline in church numbers. And yeah, there is a place for some of those things, but I don't think that is where the energy of Acts 4 comes from. Those early followers had their socks blown off by the gospel of grace. And, and that's jargony language, but they were, they were fearless. They were generous to a fault because... They had tasted the inexhaustible goodness of God. They prayed for healing and miraculous signs because they knew it wasn't them. They couldn't do that. But they understood that they were expressions of God's grace, God's goodness working through them. Stuff that we might call God's kingdom. And the ultimate expression of which they understood to be Jesus dying on the cross and the sacrifice and everything that that was about. All of which is to say, as we go from here, from this kind of very basic starting point, as we work through this series and we think about, okay, what does it mean to be on the edge of culture? What does it mean to be humbled by God as a church? What does it mean to be open to his renewing of us? What does it mean to, to worship him in, in renewed ways? As we think about all those things, let's do that as a Jesus church. Let's do that as his community of believers. Amen? Amen to that. God bless.